Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 4th, 2022, we begin our new Advent series with a sermon titled The Promise of Hope by Pastor Ed Lutz out of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Enjoy. We have a member of our family lives in Dallas, Texas, getting ready to give birth any day to a, a baby girl, our niece is having a niece, so I'll, we'll have a grandniece. And, and uh, we're seeing pictures online, exciting time. You know, anytime a baby comes into a family, uh, there's so much anticipation. But we knew there was a girl coming. Months ago, they did a gender reveal, and we all know what that is by now, I believe. Our friends, family get together, and there's some fun activity or game. Well, in this case, pink popped up, so we knew we were having a baby girl. And again, we are looking forward, hopefully this week, to the, the, the announcement that that baby has come. Well, today's message comes from Isaiah chapter 9. Why don't you go ahead and turn there? It's in the Old, Old Testament. It's a little bit after the book of Psalms, so if you can find that in the middle of your Bible, keep going to the right. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is a divine reveal It's a birth announcement. We find out the gender, it's a son. But this reveal is not months before the baby would be born. This is years, like we've said. 700 years announcement before the birth of Jesus Christ by the prophet Isaiah. Let's look at the verse, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. We we already sang some of this, so but let's read it together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. An incredible verse. I'm going to take a little bit of freedom here and say that's the greatest gender reveal of all time right there. Would you agree with me? But to really appreciate the significance of this verse, I think we need to look at the setting in which it was giving. And so what I think we need to do is set the context for this. And so we are going to look at um, Isaiah chapter eight, just near the end. You know, our main idea for today is this. In a gloomy and dark world, Jesus Christ is the promise of hope for salvation. And you're thinking, man, look at the first half of that. That's kind of depressing. But those words are gonna be in the very scripture that we look at today. So these are biblical words right out of our text this morning. But if you look around, you think, man, things are bleak. They seem dark. Sin is rampant. Same here, back in this day. And yet it's within this culture that a light will break forth, that Jesus will be born. Give you a little bit of history. The king at the time is King Ahaz. He is a wicked, wicked king. The kingdom of Israel has been divided into a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So King Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom. And at this time in history, to the north, there's this massively dominating, growing, threatening Assyrian empire. So that that force is in the north. 
Well, what's happening in the northern kingdom of Israel, you have the nation of Israel and in the nation of Syria. And they see this growing empire, and in order for them to have a fighting chance, they join forces and they descend upon the southern kingdom of Judah, where Ahaz is king, trying to form an alliance. Well, they're able to rebuff them, but Ahaz at this point is shaken in his boots. Isaiah chapter seven, verse two says, it's like Ahaz and the, the, the citizens here, like the leaves on a tree in the, in the autumn, just shaken when the wind blows. So Isaiah is speaking at this very moment to King Ahaz. He says, Ahaz, don't worry, trust in the Lord. Don't worry about those two kingdoms that just came upon you. Trust in God. You have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Ahaz doesn't listen to Isaiah, so what he ends up doing is he forms an alliance or an agreement with the Assyrians, that dominating empire, for their protection. And what he doesn't realize is that at some point in the future, the Assyrian empire that's beginning its descent, at some point is gonna come down and and dominate and, and take over the kingdom of Judah as well. And that's where we are at the end of chapter eight. Look at, the resp- look at what it describes. Let's just look at um, verse 19 of chapter eight. is given him these words, and when they say to you, the, the people, inquire of mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead? The first thing you see is when this happens, When this Assyrian domination starts to come into Judah, the people are gonna pursue evil. Rather than turn to the Lord, they're gonna start turning to spiritists and trying to seek counsel from the dead. Wicked, wicked practice. Secondly, we see that there's gonna be incredible personal and economic distress. If you go down to verse 21, it says they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. Famine gonna wipe out the crops. These people are gonna be starving when the enemy comes upon them. Number three, we see in that verse just disdain and hatred towards leaders and towards God. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against not only their king and their God, and they're gonna turn their faces upward. Can you hear that? Can you see that? They are so angry and frustrated at the predicament that they are in, which their king put them in, that they're gonna even curse God, look up with disdain, and shake their fists at God himself. Cursing God, and then... There's just pervasive anguish and pessimism. Look at the end of that chapter. The gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's the context which will be the announcement for the Messiah. It can't get much bleaker and it can't get much more dark than that time. Now let me ask you, does that sound remotely familiar to maybe some of the times that we are in church? Do we see leaders who are turning their back against the things of God? Do we see people cursing the Lord? Do we see suffering and economic distress? 
And you think, well, that's not me, but I'm, I'm positive. Let me give you, let's take a little quiz. Want a little, let's do a little survey. Answer quietly in your, in your heart and in your mind. But let me, let me just see where you personally are at. Can we do that? Here's the first question. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Got an answer? Number two, do you see people becoming more tolerant of other people's beliefs or more intolerant these days? Little snicker there. Number three, when you think about the future for your children and your grandchildren, are you concerned or are you excited? Four, how's your investment portfolio? Are you hopeful or are you a little bit down right now? Last question. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? See what we did there? Now, I slanted those questions a certain way, didn't I? But you get the point. I'm just trying to get us to a point here where things are bleak. And yet it's this kind of, of culture in which Jesus Christ will burst forth as Messiah. So let's look at Isaiah chapter nine, verse one. Wonderful first word. But in contrast, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought forth, he he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse two, and the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Got a map for you. A couple of mentions of some regions of the country there. You see Naphtali, just to the north of the Sea of Galilee, and then Zebulun to the, to the left there. Keep that up, if you would, for just a moment. So when the Assyrians eventually descended upon the northern part of the the nation of Israel, these are the lands where they first came. This is where the oppression first started. Naphtali, Zebulun. So this was the beginning of darkness. And yet what is so beautiful about this, this is the very region where light is going to burst forth. What did you see there? What town did you see just to the west of Galilee, started with an N? Nazareth. You might have seen the, a little town village named Capernaum. Did you know that that's where Jesus grew up, was in Nazareth, and then he eventually moved to Capernaum? What's remarkable here is that the region of the world that was immersed in darkness and sin and anguish is gonna be the very place where God chooses to give his son. Christmas lights are popular these days, right? I know if you go to our neighborhood, they're all over the place. Uh, Our cul-de-sac is known as the Christmas cul-de-sac. At night, it looks kind of junky. I mean, during the day. During the day, it's junky. Everybody's got these cardboard boxes up, and it just looks a mess. But man, when it's dark, and you flip that switch, glorious. Magnificent, incredibly bright, illuminates really the whole neighborhood. That's the contrast that Jesus will bring. Now you look in at that verse and you say, well that sounds kind of familiar to me. 
I've heard that before. Why don't you turn to the New Testament, go to the book of Matthew, chapter four. Matthew chapter four, first book in the New Testament. Matthew is a Jewish writer writing to a Christian Jewish audience. And look what he says here in chapter four of Matthew's gospel, starting in verse 12. Now, when he, Jesus, had heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Here it is, by the sea, in the territory of what? Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And there's the verse. You say, well, how do you know Isaiah 9's talking about Jesus Christ? Because you have a Jewish writer in the New Testament giving Isaiah's prophecy talking about Jesus Christ. The very part of the world that was immersed in sin and darkness is where God would choose to give the birth of his son. That is incredibly beautiful. Incredibly beautiful. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Let's look at verse 3. says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Look at the words there. Joy, rejoice, joy, glad. When the Messiah comes, look at the joy that's gonna be there. And he says, you've multiplied the nation. What's that talking about? Well, if you go all the way back to the promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham that through him would come one through which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Here it is. Here's the fulfillment. Messiah Jesus will be a blessing. He will multiply the nations. Multiply the nations. Let's go over to Luke chapter two. Let's keep going back and forth. This is, you gotta see the, the correlation here. Luke chapter two, I call this, this, this is the Christmas chapter, right? This is the detail of Messiah's birth. Luke chapter two. The shepherd's announcement. Starting in verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, here's the word joy, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for whom? All people. Jesus came for the world, didn't he? If you go a little bit later into the chapter, you get over to the the point where Mary and Joseph are coming and, and it's the time of purification. They're bringing baby Jesus. There's a man in the, the temple named Simeon. Simeon is an old dude by this point. He's getting up in years, almost ready to kind of kick the bucket and yet God had given him a promise. He said, Simeon, I'm not gonna let you die until your eyes have seen the Messiah. You will see him before your days end. And so we see Jesus brought to Simeon And look what he says in verse 30 of chapter two. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord, that you have prepared in the presence of who? All peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. You see, Romans chapter one, verse 17, uh, verse 16 tells us that that salvation is given to the Jews and the Gentiles. The Messiah is given to multiply the nations. He is given as a gift to the world. That's what Isaiah is telling us in chapter nine. Isn't this great news? Oh my goodness, such good news. Well, let's go back to Isaiah chapter nine and we'll, we'll stay here for the rest of our time as we get to that marvelous verse, verse six. Isaiah chapter nine, verse four says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. There's gonna come a point where there's no more war here. And they mentioned the day of Midian. This is gonna be such a miraculous event. It's, it's gonna really be inexplicable. It can only be by God, right? It's a reference here in Judges chapter six and seven where Gideon has 300 men and he's fighting the Midianites who have 135,000. Only God can pull that off. Only God can give that victory. God will bring deliverance here, it says of the Messiah. Verse five, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. At some point, war will end. Now, has that happened yet? No. Still prophecy yet to be fulfilled. But when Jesus Christ comes again, what's he gonna do? He came as savior the first time, he's gonna come as judge the second time and he will rule this earth and he will establish peace and righteousness and truth and he will reign. That's the promise there. Amen. Amen. Well, now let's look at this marvelous verse. The promise of hope in Jesus Christ. The first thing we see here, we see his significance. Who is this baby? What's his significance in verse six? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. There's the reveal. It's gonna be a baby boy. So obviously the second half of that repeats the first. This child that's gonna be born, let me tell you a little more detail, it's a boy. But most commentators will also say there's a distinction here, there's a significance here. He's gonna be a child, he's gonna be born, he's gonna have an earthly birth that speaks to the humanity of Jesus Christ. But he's also a son who will be given. There's this implication here that the son exists already and he will be given as the son. If you look at John chapter one and Philippians chapter two, both of those are wonderful chapters and they speak to the preexistence of Jesus Christ. There's an eternality about Jesus. He's eternal. See, prior to taking on flesh, God the son has always existed. And yet at the incarnation, at the birth, he takes on humanity. That's the significance here. It's because he's human that he can relate to us and live a perfect life and save us. But it's because he's divine that he's able to be sinless and be the once for all perfect sacrifice. 
So besides the significance, what do we see? We see his authority. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government will be upon his shoulder. He is responsible for all authority and rule. Right now, he's already at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ is in a position of power and ruling authority. But in God's marvelous wisdom, and only according to his sovereign plan, he has allowed Satan to exert influence on humanity, doesn't he? See, Satan is the prince of the air, the the god of this world. But there's gonna come a point where Jesus will come and reign and defeat Satan and he will be ruling on the earth. That's the significance we see his authority. Now let's talk about these titles. Let's talk about these titles. When you had, when you had kids, did you get a baby book and just kind of leaf through the pages trying to find the names that you would look for your children? I know my wife and I did that. Spent hours... Why do you do that? Because names have meaning. They're supposed to have meaning. Maybe there's a name that has been in your family for a long time. I was talking to Monty Woods about that this week. There's a name that has been in his family for, for decades and decades. It's a special name. In the Bible, names have specific meaning. It's either a reference to an attribute of God in some way or maybe some events that surrounded the, uh, the birth of that child. Names are significant, they have meaning. Let's look at the, these titles. It says first that the Messiah will be the wonderful counselor. Literally, it means wonder of a counselor. A wonder of a counselor. That word is marvelous, supernatural, entirely unique. It is only through God that you can have this type of supernatural, marvelous non-human type wisdom. It's incredible. Unlike any other wisdom possible that you have ever seen, he is a marvel, a wonder of a counselor. Did you know that it says in John chapter two, and again, there are so many verses that we could go to, but let me just give you a couple. It says that Jesus knew all people and that he needed no one to bear witness about man because he knows what is in the heart of man. Jesus Christ knows everything about you. He knows everything that's in your heart and your mind. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're gonna say before you even say it. It's a marvel of a counselor. And yet he's such a sweet, gentle, meek, comforting savior. He says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you, what's that word? What do we need? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Boy, do we need that. Let me give you a couple statistics that might surprise you. Did you know that Just in the United States alone, 20% of our population has been diagnosed and treated by a medical professional for depression. 20% have actually had a diagnosis and had treatment for depression. Worldwide, depression is known to be a contributing factor to the global burden of disease. And yet it seems like in the church, we 
don't really talk about mental health that much, do we? Now, I, I gotta tell you, we have an incredible counseling ministry. Jeff Stevens and his team and his prayer team and the, the people who have been trained in Stephen ministry, they do an incredible job. We have support groups. If you're interested, boy, we, we would love to come alongside and serve you, but, but from up here, you don't get it much. So at the risk of sounding a little bit vulnerable, can I tell you we are not immune? Uh, many, many years ago, when I was teaching at the time, we had two, we have three kids, but we had two at the time. My, my firstborn had been in Children's Hospital for a seizure disorder. My wife had chosen to stay home with the kids. I'm a teacher. So I, I teach all day, coach three sports after school, sold a car, take the bus to work, tutor at night, trying to make ends meet. And I gotta tell you, man, at one point after months and months and months, I hit, a, I hit the proverbial wall. Um, and I'll never forget the day. It, it, looking back, it's, I, don't, I don't know how, how my life was so out of balance, but it, for some reason this day just is so vivid as if it was yesterday. I came back from lunch in its fifth hour. 35 freshmen in my English class, right there. What do you think 35 freshmen are like after lunch? <laughs> a little different than what you're doing right now, let me tell you. So I get ready to start the class and I'm standing up front and, and I'm just staring. I can't speak. I can't talk. I just, probably, no kidding, two minutes. Mr. Lutz, are you okay? Mr. Lutz? Next thing I know, I'm lapping the room seven times. I am, I am just busting it. I walked around the entire room seven times. Come right back up front. <laughs> Nothing. I can't open my mouth. I hear a knock at the door. Next thing I know, there's a nurse with a wheelchair. School, some, one of my kids must have gone down and gotten a school nurse. They haul me off to the, the nurse's office. My wife comes and picks me up and meltdown. And I gotta tell you, probably for a couple years, um, I wrestled with that. I'm a Christian. I can't tell anybody about my nervous breakdown or my, my depression. I'm thinking, trust in God, worry is a sin. We hear that all the time. And I thought, if I tell any of my Christian friends, I'm on high school staff as a volunteer discipling high school kids, feel like I can't let anybody know my personal struggle because it's embarrassing. I've got all this shame because Christians aren't supposed to worry. But with the help of medication and godly counsel and a wonderful counselor, eventually my life got centered again and God brought me back. But, and I gotta tell you, the church was instrumental. When you think about the person of Jesus Christ, there's a reason why we are called the body it was God's people who ministered to me as they found out. But we're afraid we're gonna get judged and we're afraid to come clean. We all need a wonderful counselor. That counselor is Jesus Christ. Mighty God, warrior God, he fights for you. He fights for you. And I love the fact that it calls the Messiah God the New Testament's replete with verses on the deity of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a couple here. 
Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All things were created. Look at this power and might. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created. He is mighty God, this Messiah. Colossians 2, and if that wasn't clear enough, man, I don't know how Jehovah Witnesses get around this one, but it says, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. There's a little phrase that you maybe heard that he's God in a bod, that's the verse. (laughs) Right? In his physical body the fullness of deity dwells. Our Messiah Jesus is mighty God. Everlasting Father. I'm thinking, what's, what? Jesus is the Father? I thought Jesus was the Son. This isn't you know, confounding the, the Trinity here. God the Father is the distinct person of the Godhead. God the Son is the distinct person of the Godhead. The phrase literally is translated Father of Eternity. He's eternal. Jesus Christ is God the Son is eternal. He is eternal. There's never a time that he was not. Do you get that? How's that for a blow mind? Colossians 1, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 1.17 says he is before all things. Before anything was, he is. That's the verse. Look at that statement. And in him all things hold together. And and in Hebrews chapter 1, It's quoting a psalm there and it's calling in reference to the son, speaking of Jesus Christ. It says, you are the same and your years have no end. Jesus Christ is the father of eternity. That's good news. Finally, Prince of Peace. Oh man, we need this one. You know, over the last 3,400 years, according to those who track history, In 3,400 years, there have only been 268 years splattered throughout history where there hasn't been a war. So that's worldwide, that's global. Let's talk about US a little bit. Did you know in the last decade, crime has increased, violent crime has increased in the United States? In in, uh, 2021, there were 61 active shooter incidents. That broke the record from the year before of 40 in 2020. And already this year, we have had over 40 mass shootings. Does our world need peace? We do, don't we? Hmm. It's almost like we've accepted a normalized sense of hopelessness. And yet, what do we, what do we see in John 16, 33? Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me, only in him, there's the key, in me you may have peace. In the world, tribulation. But be encouraged, I have overcome the world. See, at one point we were enemies of God. Did you know that? Romans 5 verse 1 says, therefore, since we've been justified, however, by faith, we no longer are enemies, but now positionally we are at peace with God. That's the gospel in one verse right there. It's through Jesus Christ that God removes that separation and now we enter into a relationship with God. Philippians 4, one of our favorite verses, you know it. 
The peace that we have, the peace that comes from God passes all understanding. It's a supernatural peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Well, let's wrap this up. Isn't that incredible, by the way? You like that gender reveal? <laughs> That's pretty good news, isn't it? I was listening to a, a pastor who preached on this sermon and on this text, and he, he asked this question at the end. He says, why, is it, why this prophecy? Why this prophecy of hope to such a wicked, wicked king? That's a good question. And he says, I think it's because Ahaz is typical of all humanity. Do we take opportunities to trust in ourselves rather than what God wants? Do we feel like we're in the midst of a battle, uncertain of what the future might hold? Certainly. Do we find it difficult to be at peace with others or maybe at peace with God? I love what Isaiah does here. He says, Ahaz, he's talking to Ahaz, and then he does the collective we. Ahaz, to us, <laughs> a, a child will be born. To me and to the nation. See, to us, a child will be born. To us, a son is given. There's the hope. There's the promise of hope. God loves his people. God will deliver his people. Do you believe that? Romans 5, verse 8 says, but God demonstrated his love in this, in that while we were still sinners, say it for me, Christ died for us. Now, Christmas is a time to give gifts, but not every gift is received. Do you know that? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But John also tells us in chapter one that when Jesus came, not many people received him. But to those who did, he gave the right to become a child of God. See, when we place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and believe that he died a sacrificial death on our behalf because of our sin, we become a child of God. And he becomes our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our Prince of Peace. I pray that you know him this morning. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this prophecy so long ago. But thank you on this side of Calvary, we can look back and see the beauty of Jesus, how he loved, how he walked this earth, how he suffered and died, but gloriously rose again and it's through him that we, while we look around and we see all the gloom and all the darkness, it's through Jesus Christ that we have hope for salvation. Thank you for the gift of your son, in whose name we pray, amen. Wow, he is great and he's come. We hope you will invite friends and neighbors and co-workers this month to come with you to church so they can hear about the beauty of Jesus Christ. You know, our prayer and, and care team is down front. We just want to love on you and, and be a friend. If, if you would like someone to just pray 
with you and for you, or if you have questions about the church or anything that we've talked about, if, if you want to know more about Jesus Christ, will you come down and, and uh, we invite you to come and let us meet you? You know, and a, a commentator on this text gives these words. As we look around, we see the, the darkness and the sin and the bleakness and the gloom. He says, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences they will live by. Are they to look at the darkness, the hopelessness, the dreams shattered and conclude that God has forgotten them? Or are they to recall his past mercies, to remember his present promises and to make great affirmations of faith. Isn't that good? We have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. May we live by faith. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you until we meet again, until our Savior comes and forevermore. Merry Christmas. Thanks for coming.